This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 105 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Equestrian Collections, and Equisketch. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, and with me this week to discuss another topic of interest in the dressage world, more training hints, is Debbie McDonald and Lendon Gray. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Debbie, you've been traveling a bit, I hear. I have. I have, and I finally am back in um, Idaho, which I'm very excited about. It's been a few months since I've been home, so... It's always nice to unpack again and feel like you've got your feet grounded. (laughs) Absolutely. And a nice time of the year to be in Idaho, no doubt. It's starting, yes. It's starting to get that way. And Lyndon, you you home, do you travel much? I know you're teaching constantly. Is that mostly home-based? Well, I'm freelancing around my area, so I'm going to Long Island and a little bit north and a little bit east. And then uh, once or twice a month, I travel a greater distance. I just came back recently from Oregon and uh, Montana, and uh, but most of it's close to home. And we're just starting our first show is this weekend, so we're just seeing show season. Well, I appreciate you both taking time to join us here again on the show, and we're going to be talking about a few topics this evening and this week, I should say. And But before we get to that, I'm going to take a short commercial break. And when we do come back, I know you've got some news about the Emerging Athletes Program and some new championships at Lendon. So let's just take a quick break and we'll come back and discuss that. Super. When horsemen were asked what they were looking for in a nutritional supplement, the answer was easy. One that's affordable, effective and scientifically proven. Kentucky Performance Products heard that message and developed supplements that meet those needs. All of their supplements, from Nalox Equine Antacid to Summer Games Electrolytes and Joint Armor, are formulated based on sound research. The important thing is that you can count on them to deliver results, and they're affordable. So to choose the right KPP supplement for your horse, visit kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-1988. And to learn more about horse nutrition and interact with the KPP experts, be sure to visit their Facebook fan page. Well, Lyndon, as I mentioned, the Emerging Athletes Program is brand new to the dressage world, but something that uh, you, you took advantage of it already being created for another discipline. Tell us more about it. Correct. Um, the U.S. Hunter-Jumper Association started their Emerging Athlete Program, uh, sort of got going uh, they started it three years ago. And Melanie Smith-Taylor, uh, an Olympic gold medalist in jumping, who has always been a good friend, or for a long time has been a good friend of mine, who, uh, was the one doing the teaching and, and um, uh, giving her expertise through much of that. And, and right after it started, I had long chats with Melanie about it and desperately wanted to do it, tried to get it going a couple years ago and was not successful uh, due to the finances. And uh, talking to Robert Dover over a period of time, he uh, didn't want to, didn't feel he could do anything while he was coaching the Canadians. And as soon as, as he was finished with that, he contacted me and said, "Why don't we try to do this now?" And um, 
And then we brought in Courtney King Dye uh, with us also to be part of the program. And so it looks like it's getting off the ground, thanks to fundraising mostly uh, from Robert, thanks to uh, energies of a lot of people. And we are shamelessly um, taking from the U.S. Hunter Jumper Association Emerging Athletes Program, we're calling it the Emerging Dressage Athlete Program, we can't do exactly what they do because we don't have the funding that they're able to get. But we're, the basis of the program is to scout out new talent, to give it opportunities, and also to try to give more education to, to the talent that's out in front of us. When I was just just getting started in dressage, just coming off of being an event rider, the USET sent our, at that time, our coach, Colonel Jungquist, around the country talent scouting. And I rode in a clinic with him in Buell, Alabama, if you can believe it. Um, and it was basically from that clinic that I started to get be noticed by some people who then gave me opportunities and gave me the chance to develop. And, you know, within a few years, I was competing for the United States in dressage. And that's, you know, that's what I would love to see happening, uh, that we can find in hidden reaches, outreaches, uh, talent that we can give some education to through basic clinics, through various programs that we'll be doing online. And then from this, these various talent scouting things that we'll be doing, We'll have this year two sort of super clinics, one in the fall with Robert, one in the spring with Courtney. These will be in Wellington. The new facility that's that's being built in Wellington has, has already offered for us to uh, hold our clinics there. And these will be along the lines of what the hunter-jumpers have done with George Morris and his clinics, not only the, the education and riding, but also sports psychology, stable management, bring, uh, veterinary care, et cetera, bringing in outsiders over the week-long clinic to um, try to broaden the education uh, to our youth. And um, the nice part of this is to be able to bring together a group from all over the United States and uh, we will be borrowing horses for anyone who cannot bring a horse. You know, Wellington is a is a fund of, or a, you know, a great, well, there's a treasure trove of horses down there. And um, so it won't be just people who can travel with their horse. So the goal is to find riders, to uh, give greater education to them, not in all areas of riding and horsemanship, and hopefully give that boost to some riders who might not get it otherwise. And not only Robert, um, Courtney, and myself will be teaching. I'll be teaching more of the local clinics, Robert and Courtney, the others, and we also are asking other riders, other international riders and trainers to help out so we can really try to cover the entire country. So that's that's what's in the works and just getting started. The information for it 
can now be found on the Dressage for Kids, Dressage Number Four Kids.com, their website. Uh, you go to their homepage down on the bottom left is the link that takes you to the Emerging Dressage Athletes Program. And we're hoping that um, as we're developing the clinics, we want to hear from the kids that are interested if they can make the application. And then what would be nice if we have someone that, you know, it's the only person in a certain area, we can try to find a way to um, get to them in some way. It might not be a large clinic. It might just be an opportunity with um, a top trainer to get, get some of the help and be evaluated. So that's kind of the program. Well, as you mentioned, Melanie Smith has been instrumental in the U.S. Anti-Jumper Association's program, and she is, in fact, my guest to talk about that very program on this week's Jumping Radio Show. So well, you can fabulous. Get good. Yes, you can get more information about that program and how it relates, of course, to dressage as well. So perfect timing here, Lendon. And uh, I know you have some more news, uh, news of a new national championship for pony riders. Well, this isn't new news. But as we find very often, and we hope they listen to your radio because we find a lot of people don't read. <laughs> and, uh, last year, you, the U.S. Equestrian Federation decided to host the first national pony championships um, at the Festival of Champions, which will be in Gladstone uh, this September. This is where we have the final trials for the Pan American Games, the National Grand Prix Championships, uh, the National Young Rider, uh, excuse me, Brentina Cup, which is the Young Grand Prix Riders, the Young National Young Rider Championships, Juniors, and now the National Pony Riders Championship. Uh, so now we're covering really the whole spectrum from our beginning 12 to 16-year-old pony riders right up through our top international riders at the Grand Prix level. So... There is still time to put in the letter of intent to the USEF. I believe it, it closes the end of this month, month, so there's not much time. But I, I know we have several that have put in a letter of intent, and I just want to make sure that we're not missing anybody, that someone hasn't been uh, living under a rock somewhere and uh, doesn't know this is happening. It's a thrill to me because I've been fighting tooth and nail to get pony riders and uh, ponies out there competing in dressage and um, this I hope is the beginning of of us having a really strong group of of the riders at the base of our pyramid of developing top international riders you look at Europe and at this point the top juniors and young riders and those that are doing the young grand prix the, the top riders over there, they all started in the ponies, with the ponies, and um, we're shamelessly behind on that. So I hope that we will see uh, a good, strong showing in the first FEI Pony Championships. Well, and when is that, Lyndon? It's at Gladstone. It's a Festival of Champions. Oh, awesome. That's so, exciting. Um, yeah, we uh, have our fingers crossed that we'll have a nice turnout. Well, that's great news, and good luck with that, Lend. And we will, of course, put a link to both those programs here on our show notes on dressageradio.com. 
And uh, we're going to take a short break before we come to our training ideas this week that uh, Lendon and Debbie are going to discuss. So don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Many riders started their riding career in other disciplines and then migrated towards dressage as they mature as riders. Physically, emotionally and intellectually, dressage becomes more attractive and at every stage in their life, riders are looking to wear appropriate apparel that has often been designed specifically for the sport. Style and functionality are important, as is a certain level of attention to detail and quality. For this reason, there is no better choice than to shop at Equestrian Collections. Their selection is unmatched with the very best names in riding attire. For all your riding and stable choices, be sure to visit equestriancollections.com. Well, Lyndon and Debbie, I'm going to hand it over to you now because I think you've got some really good uh, training ideas you want to share with everybody. Lyndon, why don't you take it away? Well, I, I was thinking that this time we might try to be a little more specific to riders, give them some things to truly think about absolutely with their own riding. So I, I tried to come up with some ideas that are true for everyone, whether they're pre-training level or um, going Grand Prix. And one of the first things that comes to mind is something I, I think is so important. And I, I think of it sort of in my mind, the title of it in my mind is being fair to the horse. And being fair to the horse is being consistent. Um, that you're not asking one thing one day in one manner and then the next day your mind isn't really in it and you're wandering around and you're, you know, you're not being as disciplined or, or you're being short-tempered. Um, whatever it is that, that you are consistent in your workout. And knowing that, I know myself, there were days that I would come out and I mentally wasn't with it. I just, I, you know, I'd have a fight with somebody or I didn't get a good night's sleep or I don't even know why sometimes. And those were the days that I learned to say, you know, I don't have the focus. I'm not being, being, you know, riding the same way I normally do. I'm going to go for a walk in the woods. And um, it's better to me. I, I find myself saying to students very often, you know, your horse would be better off sitting in the stall um, looking at the way you're riding. You're not making anything any better. You're not making it consistent. You're not, you're not uh, making this a productive workout. He'd, be, he'd learn more uh, eating grass out in the pasture. So, you know, if you, if you discipline the horse, let's say he's, he's uh, not going to your leg when you ask him to, and one day you punish him for it, and the next day you're going around going bangity, bangity, bangity with your leg and just kind of thumping him on the side. And, and then the next day you come out and you say, you must go to my leg. And then you put your leg on and nothing happens and you hit him with a whip. That's not fair. Um, it's not fair to your horse not to be going at it with 100% of your mind um, every time you are schooling him. Otherwise, go for a trail ride. Now, along with this, as I just mentioned, the business of going to the leg, and, and this is a subject that I know Debbie and I feel very strongly about, um, what I call woe and go. Uh, and perhaps, Debbie, you'd, you'd go on a little bit about, uh, about woe and go. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, first I want to say I completely agree with you on being fair to the horse, and you're absolutely 100% correct when you say it's a lot of it is about being consistent, being in the right frame of mind, and 
you know, um, knowing if you mentally should be on top of that horse that day or not, because that is part of the game, you know, you knowing whether you can handle this and not be thinking, like you said, of something else that happened earlier in the day, um, not carrying a grudge and things like that. But um, so I agree 100% with you on everything you said. And uh, another one little thing that I would like to mention, too, that I see a lot going on that I feel is not fair for a horse is if it doesn't matter if you or the horse don't know a movement, let's say let's go to flying changes or something, and uh, somebody's bought a schoolmaster and they're trying to get the changes, but their timing sucks. <laughs> and but they keep drilling the horse over and over and over and over and over again and finally you know you just have to step in and say enough I mean this isn't fair you know you have to understand little bits be happy with something very small today because it could become a huge breakthrough tomorrow so that that's just one other point but um, moving on to the woe and go I see that so, so, you know, often. And I think from the very beginning when someone even just starts a horse, that's like so key in its training. Um, that when you put the leg on, the horse knows it's got to move off. And when you take a little feel, then the horse knows it has to come back. Because as we see, a lot of people do a lot of driving and thumping on the horse at the same time, kind of, uh, you know, banging it in the mouth at the same time. So there is really, at some point, the horse loses the sensitivity to both, the woe and the go. And, um, you know, I think, again, so much of this that we talk about is um, using good sense. What is, at what level, fair in saying how sensitive the horse should be and how much the horse should come back. And... um, but again, um, I'm always under the impression if, if a rider is a skilled rider, um, I always say I try at a baby level thinking of a training level horse becoming a Grand Prix horse. So in other words, I don't let it go on a strong leg for as a training level, first level horse, and then all of a sudden as a third level horse, say, okay, now I want you like this. I want you really sharp. Because that isn't, again, that's not fair. You've changed the system on the horse now. So, I mean, everything I think we can talk about today, we'll, we'll find, will always come back to what's there. What is your feeling on that, too? Well, uh, uh, I'm with you. I mean, when I do clinics, I'm actually, I did a clinic uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, not, not the hotbed of dressage. And I, as I finished the clinic, I said, you know, I think this is the first clinic I've done in years and years and years where I didn't have to give the more go to your leg lesson at least once. It was such a treat. I'm doing really? it nonstop. When you touch the horse with your leg, he should go. When you touch yeah. the horse in the mouth, he should stop yeah. to some degree. And it's it's such a simple concept. And yes, there's more to it. There's more finesse. But basically, he has to go when you tell him to go and stop when you tell him to stop. And I find very often that the riders, it's not difficult to teach a rider or to see a rider who's very disciplined about the horse being quick off the leg and will be tough about it and, and very focused. And, for example, I'll 
they might be trotting around and, and I'll say, okay, come to walk and go right back to trot. Well, the going right back to trot happens in one or two strides, you know, right from walk to the trot. Yeah. And then they'll take eight or ten strides to go from trot to walk. And I'm not talking necessarily about a training level horse. I'm talking about an FEI horse sometimes. Correct. And that people will demand more about the horse going forward and then allow the horse to sort of bully the bit or run through the hand and and much less respond to the weight in uh, a downward transition. And you have to exactly. have both, not just one. Exactly. I'd like to move move from this to I think one of the most difficult things to teach, and I'm I'm blindsiding Debbie with this. I hope she doesn't mind. But talking about half halts and how to teach a half halt, I'd like to say okay. what I tend to do. Yeah, and then I'd okay. I'd love to hear Debbie's approach. Okay, you go first. Girl. My my first thing when I'm when first of all I find there's sort of two types of riders with half halts. There's the one that says, oh, I half halt all the time. And I can't, I personally, watching, can't see a thing happening. And then on the other hand, there's the rider who says, oh, God, these are so incredibly complicated. I'll never figure it out. I don't even bother to try. <laughs> well, I want, I'd like to say to anyone listening, do you remember learning to post? You remember bouncing around? I personally don't because I rode from day one, kind of. But I sure taught a lot of people to post, and they bounce, and they, you know, thump, thump, up, 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 thump, up, thump, thump, up. And pretty much almost everybody starts that way. And then I'm sure all of you listening now can post really nicely. But you learn to post well by posting badly. And you bounced around, and you just kept thumping around until you kind of figured it out. And this is what I say to many, to most of my students. I want to see bad half-holds. Go ahead, ride some really bad half-holds. Too much leg, too much hand, you know, too much this, too much that. But let me see something happen. And going back to what Debbie was talking about with the woe and the go, if you don't have a good woe and you don't have a good woe, if the horse isn't quick off your leg and responsive back to your hand, you're not going to ever get the the finesse of a really nice half-halt. A half-halt being some sort of an adjustment, a rebalancing, a re-engaging, a re-energizing. Sometimes it's just a yoo-hoo, we're gonna. I don't know what we're gonna, but we're gonna do something. Um, but something must happen. Now, Debbie, when she was riding Brentina, I'm sure was riding a lot of basically invisible half-holds, certainly invisible to, to most riders. But for those learning, you're not going to be riding those little invisible half-holds at first. You're going to be doing what I call a literal half-halt. You're trotting around, go halfway to halt, come way back in the trot and go right forward again. Or what I call a half-go. You're going along, you create a little more energy, you go a little faster even, and you come back to what you were doing. Quick little one or two strides adjustments. Sometimes it's a little step sideways for one stride. Sometimes it might be go forward and come a little deeper in your frame horse. You've got to be able in all kinds of creative ways 
to make little quick changes, but changes where I can bring in the UPS guy and he can see it. It's not subtle in the beginning, but an absolute adjustment to the horse. And then from there, once you can make those sort of major changes, you'll be able to develop over time, it ain't going to happen overnight, a nice, subtle, successful half old. So that's me, Debbie. How do you teach half holds? No, and I love hearing you say that, you know, that uh, it's not going to be maybe pretty or perfect in the beginning because I think everybody's afraid to say, you know, the horse is ignoring you. You need to be a little firmer. And I really believe that some people think and read and listen a little too much and don't don't really realize the reality behind this, that what we're riding is a 1,200-pound or bigger horse, and if if you think a five-foot rider is going to do it without being a little firm every now and then, then you're, you know, you're not in the real world. And the whole thing goes back to the woe and go, I 100%, because I like to get a horse so eventually, and I want my riders to get this too, I want them to be so sensitive off the leg and the hand that basically that horse is going for themselves constantly and that you're regulating it through the little half halt, like you're just telling it how much you want it to come back a little bit, how much you can let it go forward, and a little bit of leg, and and then you create, you know, a a more engagement. And I also like to think of of a half halt as, like you said, a horse rebalancing, taking more weight on the hind leg, but actually becoming hotter if that makes sense. Absolutely. Not not getting a horse when I when I watch somebody do a half halt and then the horse's hind legs just stop, that drives me crazy. Because then they haven't followed through with the leg. They've only used the hand. So there's that moment, like you said, that you're gonna go through where you're gonna find, oh shoot, that was too much hand, look, he stopped. Or oh, that was too much leg, he ran too much forward and fell on his forehand. So, but yes, it's a matter of it's timing and feel and sensitivity. And you cannot learn it without experiencing it. You have to uh, touch point. it and feel it. Absolutely. And another thing I find myself saying a lot is a half halt is only a half halt if the aid subside. You know, so right. often someone says, you know, I'm giving a half halt and the leg clutches in the side the whole time or the rider's holding with the hand. As, as you said, you may want to make the horse hotter and you want to be able to, as I said, you know, be able to do nothing for a few strides. So mm-hmm. the half halt makes it possible, as I think you sort of said, for the rider to sit there and do nothing for a few strides. And then you make another one to make some other little adjustment. Yeah. Is that the way you feel? Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's another good point. You know, I mean, when we talk about it, you kind of forget certain parts of it. But but I think a lot of times what happens in a half halt is people end up pulling too long. So what exactly, happens is yeah. you actually kill the energy instead of doing quicker little half halts instead of one strong pull. Because one strong pull, they can just pull you right out of attack. You know what I'm saying? But if you kind of work it a little quicker sometimes 
and then not be so strong and, and actually say, now carry yourself. I'm not going to carry your head and your whole front end. And I don't think people give that moment sometimes. They they want to feel like the horse does this magical something when they take a feel up their mouth and then close their leg when maybe all they needed to do was take a little pressure off after that little half halt they did to feel what a half halt should feel like. They're trying to pull until they wait for that to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it all goes back to that pre-training level. I put my leg on, you go, and I pull back a little and you stop. Yeah. It's, I mean, without all... that, you'll never get the half hold. Never, 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 never. Absolutely correct. And it and won't think... be pretty in the beginning sometimes. Yeah, right. And I think another part that, you know, people can get away with riding very successfully win lots of ribbons at training first and maybe even second level without a, what I just describe it as without a back. Mm-hmm. You know, riding basically leg in hand and in a subtle and nice and lovely way. But as you're developing, you know, you're really asking the horse for more engagement, more self-carriage, the back, the rider's back becomes a major aid. And I think, again, it goes back to what we've talked about in the past about equitation and learning to sit correctly. And um, so many people never develop that ability to, to have the strength in their core and to have the correct position where the back can become one of your major aids. How do you feel? Well, definitely, because... Um when when you get to that refined moment, when the horse does understand what is expected of it, you literally, I'll say, bring the horse back with your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Literally, you know, mm-hmm. just in your shoulder. And, and if the horse starts to pull, take it in the back of your arm. Don't just try to pull your hands backwards. Uh, good point, yeah. You know, and and so, yes, your back and your core is, is the key to to really being successful with the the invisible half halt, especially. I'd like to change subject a moment, if that's okay, and talk about something I see a great deal at the lower levels, particularly. You know, we start out as riders and, you know, as beginning riders and as good riders with our very green horses. We start out obviously walking first and then trotting next, and we develop our balance. We develop uh, the use of aids. We develop the horse's strength and rideability, mostly in the trot. And and with a young horse, oftentimes we're a, a very green horse. We're doing a lot of trotting before we've even asked them to canter. And as a rider learning, you're doing a lot of trotting before you do your first canters. And and that kind of continues on. And what I see so often is the rider, you know, sort of training first level, sometimes even second level, um, doing all kinds of trot work and changes of direction and lateral work and taking little breaks and doing some more trot work. And then near the end of the ride, they do some canter. And the horse is tired. The rider's a little tired. And if you were to add up, and the canter isn't as good as the trot. Well, obviously, 
you aren't cantering very much. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I um, the canter should be part of your warm-up if it's under control with most horses. And secondly, if you find yourself <laughs> in that place where your trot is, you have so much more control and rideability in the horse, um, and it might be just having him, you know, having him under control, being able to ride a good circle. It might be he's more on the aids in the trot. He's more supple. He's more rideable. And in the canter, he's still against the bit. And, you know, you don't have as much control. You need to stop and think about how much trotting you're doing versus how much cantering you're doing. And what I recommend here is that you start out. You, you're going to do your first work at the trot. You get your tools working for you, your age, you get the rideability, you get comfortable, the two of you are sort of starting to work together, then you do some canter, and hopefully this is within the first 10 minutes, and then you come back and do a little trot, and then you do some more canter, and you come back and do a little trot, and put things together again that might have fallen apart, and then you go to canter, and you canter until it sort of starts to fall apart, and then you come back to trot and regain the rideability, and then obviously with some breaks in between. So that by the end of your ride, if you were to add up the seconds and minutes of trotting and cantering, you would have cantered more than you trotted. Um, Not long canters, but little short canters with the trot in between. There's a stage at which, generally as we develop the horses, you know, we we make the trot a little better, then we make the canter a little better, and then we come back and move on with the trot, and then we carry it on and we make the canter a little better. And there are periods of time that you're going to be doing much more of one gait than the other. And in the beginning, it's mostly the trot. Then we have to catch the trot up to the canter. So I just suggest to those of you whose canter isn't so good that are you spending enough time simply cantering? Do you see that, Debbie? I do. And, in fact, um, I would say the majority of our horses, you know, we'll do our normal warm-up, just a long and low and nice, easy warm-up. And I actually, you know, warm up long enough till I actually can hear the horses breathing, you know, like, you know, that type of breathing. Because until they get really relaxed enough in their body, it's not even fair to pick up the reins and try to ask more. So, you know, that that could be 10 minutes of the work. It's just the walk, you know, trot, canter, trot, canter, simple transitions within that. And then usually after the walk break, I will start right off with canter. Mm-hmm. And go and, and do most, you know, like you said, do a lot of the beginning work in the canter. And then, again, a break and then pick up the trot. And then um, do a little bit of that. And then, again, maybe back to canter and mix it up a little bit. Because then I think the horses also don't get bored and sour of doing the same thing again over and over and over. And um, so I definitely agree with that. And in that whole process of doing that, what are we always doing? The woe and go. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We come back to developing the half halts. We... um, I mean, everything is there for a reason. It's not that we're just riding our horses around for a re- for no reason. We are preparing for the Grand Prix, you know, and that's what I think everybody, whether you 
you have ambitions or whatever um, to do Grand Prix, but if you always just ride with the best, you know, the best ability you can to be focused and fair, then I think you will always be successful in whatever level you decide to show at. Super. I'm curious, Debbie, um, what you do with your horses, especially your younger horses, other than ride them in the ring? Or is well, that all we, that they do? Well, no, no. We, uh, when we're in California, things are a little bit more difficult. We, um, we do have pasture. We have limited pasture, so we do try to let them get out there. Um, there aren't, there's a big, big field, so we take them out and walk them around the perimeter of the field. There's a huge jumping ring. We try to get out in that. Um, we try to, again, like I said, I love to mix it up for them. Um, when we're here in Idaho, it's a little bit easier. We have lots more pasture. We have trails that go to the river. Um, they, I, I try to make everyone after they ride go out and trail ride and let them just, you know, relax and go on a long rain and, and have a good time. And then usually in the afternoon they'll come back and whether they, some can't go on the grass, they get a little silly and I'm afraid they're going to slip and hurt themselves, but we do have some smaller sand paddocks that I like them to just be able to go out in a safe manner maybe buck a couple times and roll and be a horse. Yeah. I and feel so bad so, for horses that can't roll. I do too, you I know, and those roll. stalls, they, they can't really yeah. properly roll. And I think they adjust themselves to be, you know, to be honest, I think it's very helpful in them being able to realign themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my theory on it, and that's, you know, I, I wish... We had access to some hills that were good footing, but unfortunately, in either location that I go to, that isn't a possibility. Yeah, of course. I'm 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 in New York, where we do in, in the part of New York where we do have hills, and and um, we had where where I used to be located some some moderately steep hills that it was interesting to watch the horses. You know, in the beginning, they they could barely get up from. And uh, after after doing it for for a while, they they could power up those hills. And uh, but now one of the places where I'm teaching has the most fabulous big field that is very gently rolling. It's not dead flat, and it's uh-huh. certainly not steep. And it's you know it's just gently rolling enough that you can canter up and down. And uh, one of my students, Mika Mabragana, has has six FEI horses that she's schooling, you know, sort of beginning pre-St. George through pretty confirmed Grand Prix. And Uh watching those, I'm I'm having the best time working with her out there because watching those horses as they're working, she, she, you know, is just riding around and, and a lot of forward and back, but watching them shift the weight back a little and power forward you know, power forward that extra little bit and shift their weight back that extra little bit going down the hill. And then, you know, there's a place to sort of have a nice gallop up a long hill. What it's done for, particularly in one case, a horse who had a rather negative attitude for his attitude, he's having, it's just a whole different expression on his face now. And he's so much more willing in the work. And to be able to use the terrain to 
build up the muscles, to teach them to balance, to teach them to sit a little more. Uh, I feel so lucky um, yeah. that we have that. And unfortunately, many people are in a part. I'm, I'm forever doing clinics saying, you know what this horse really needs? You know, he's a little loose in his stifles or whatever. He doesn't have much power or hills. And then I'll look around me and realize, you know, there might be an anthill somewhere, but that's about it. Yeah, um, Yeah. no, I'm insanely jealous when I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish we had that. I'm really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very, very lucky. Well, Debbie, yeah. is there anything else you'd like to add? I think we've covered a pretty broad range. I, you know, I yeah. mean, I, it's just really fun to sit with you and and chat like this because we are under the same philosophy, and I think. Um, and we, you know, we all want to be fair. Um, you know, we want our horses happy and, uh, we want our riders good. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I think if, if we can just keep getting the messages out, I think, I think we're doing a good job. I'd like to add one more thing. It just came to my mind when you said keeping our horses happy. You know, if the rider isn't happy, Something's not right, and you know if if as a rider i'm I'm sort of speaking to our audience here, if you come out and you're frustrated when you're riding or you get angry with your horse or you get angry with your instructor, perhaps it's a good time to sit down quietly and analyze what's going on and because this should be fun for everybody, we want certainly the happy horse, we want a horse that's comfortable in his work. But this should be fun, and um, yeah. you should, you know, be going out there with a smile on your face saying, I can't wait to do it today. And I often see people that I wonder why they do it, because they always look so frustrated. And perhaps it's time to think about the trainer or the horse or the situation. And I'm not going to go into detail, but it just came to mind that we all, we the horse, we the rider, and I hopefully we the instructor, are all enjoying what we're doing. We're so lucky yes. to be able to to uh, be spending our lives doing this. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. There, I think um, our lives are so enriched by having them in our lives that you know, uh, why would you not want them to be happy? And why would we not be happy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's that's been great. Thanks so much, Debbie. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed it too, always, Lyndon. Well, I, I, have, I must say I've enjoyed being a fly on the wall there, girls. Um, always fascinating to hear you two. And uh, I want to thank you both for doing that. And also, um, it just reminded me at the end there, Lyndon, when Debbie, when you both talked about doing it for fun, it, it's, uh, Lucinda Green has always said this, that you know, whatever we do with horses, we must remember we do it for fun. Yep, absolutely. That's for sure. All right. Well, again, my thanks to both of you for sharing your thoughts, your wisdom and experience. And I hope that's given our listeners some food for thought. And I hope I can persuade you to come back in a few weeks and uh, talk some more about training tips. Always. And always fun with Lyndon. Right. Thank you both so much. Okay. Thank you. 
And I would like to remind you about our sponsors, Equisketch. They're a great new company dedicated to providing the very best mobile apps for every rider. Each app has been designed to be used by riders of all ages and all levels of experience. With Equisketch Dressage, you can replace your dressage paper or dry erase boards and begin learning all your dressage tests on your iPhone or iPad. The Equisketch board allows you to study in a flashcard style by hiding the step instructions while visualizing your location in the arena. Every test can also be viewed in a written format and later shared with your dressage students or fellow riders. Equisketch Records allows you to manage all your horses and shows on the go. Track every medication, vet visit, dental exam, farrier work and more, complete with built-in reminders. Equisketch has some of the best-selling equestrian apps on the iTunes App Store, which have already been purchased in over 35 countries. They are available for the iPhone, the iPad and iPod Touch. So visit equisketch.com hrn for more information or search Equisketch in iTunes. Equisketch is dedicated to make your equestrian life mobile, one app at a time. And our special thanks to Equisketch for their support of the Dressage Radio Show. Well, that's it for this week's show. I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll check out our show notes at dressageradio.com, where you can find links to the Hallway Feeds iPhone app, so you can listen to the show on the go. You can also click on the link for the Audible free trial at audible.com, or do some shopping from our website to Amazon. And don't forget to check our Facebook fan page. Uh, you're always uh, welcome to leave your comments and questions and suggestions there for me. Love to hear from you. And there's a lot of people that do post notes on the fa- Facebook fan page. So uh, please join the group there. And also you can uh, join the, our followers on Twitter at Chris E. Stafford or Horse Radio. And don't forget to check out all the other shows here on the Horse Radio Network. I can be reached, as always, at Chris at HorseRadioNetwork.com. That's Chris, C-H-R-I-S at horseradionetwork.com always love to hear from you well I will be back at the same time same place next week for another show here on the Dressage Radio Show so until then thank you all for listening Music